And uh, I'm going to, Linda, just preach as if you were at home, you know, because Jason will be used to that then. Okay, give each other a high five and say, God bless you. And then Linda, just come and speak to us. You know, guys, you have got an amazing church. I don't know whether you realize that. Your church is amazing. I was here five minutes, and I've got so many ideas that I'm going to take back to my church and pretend they're mine. Your fasting wall, I just love it. And your cups, I don't know if anyone's counted how many flags are on here, but it represents all the nations that are in your church, I've been told. But you know you're going to have to get bigger cups next year because there's going to be even more nations added. You see, your church is so cool. It's, instead of going out to the mission field, the mission field is coming here. And you're in such a wealthy church. Wealthy that I mean you have an amazing team here. They are so rich in the word. And I've just got to say something about your lead pastors you know, your mum and dad of the house. I have known them personally for many years, and they are the real deal. They are authentic. They are full of the love of Jesus, and you are so blessed to have them here. And they are creating a team here that is replicating that love of Jesus. So you guys really want to pat yourselves on the back because this church is amazing. I wonder if Jason would catch this couple, whether it would smash. <laughs> If you've got your Bibles with you, you can open them to the book of Nehemiah. I am not going to read it, but I want you to just keep checking that I'm on track. And then when you go home, maybe you'll want to read the whole book. But I'm going to touch on the first two chapters. You see, I looked at this chap, Nehemiah, and he's become my new friend. As I started to read his story in this book, I was really struck by the audaciousness of this man, of the the love that he felt for a people that he didn't know and and that he was doing all right in life. His life was pretty, um, it was pretty easy. In fact, let me tell you a bit about him. Nehemiah was born in a place called Persia, which is now modern-day Iran. And he was one of the um, Jewish descendants that had been taken by the Babylonians into this foreign territory. Now, he never knew Jerusalem. He never knew his home country. So he grew up more like a Persian. And he grew up and he got himself a really good job in the palace. He became the king's cupbearer. That means this man, Nehemiah, was one of the closest people to the king of the biggest, most powerful nation on earth at that time. And he, he was in luxury. He had the, the best food, the best clothes, and he was probably so posh. And he had such royal etiquette and because he wouldn't have been allowed near the king if he didn't. And here was this man that was so refined and so altogether. And his life was so easy and so luxurious. And yet something happens to him one day that absolutely ruins him forever. And I just think that Jesus has got that ability and he's got that habit of doing that to us. He wants to disturb us. He wants to transform us. And he wants to just challenge us. And So I really appreciate that you've come out tonight on a Monday night. And this is not a gentle word for you. I'm sorry, but it's going to be a bit challenging. But I know that you wouldn't be here for an easy ride. So, the first thing I want to talk about that affects this man's life is something, it's not very theological, 
but it's, it's how I can describe it. It's something called the pull. So life is good, and he's enjoying all this luxurious environment. He's earning a good wage, he's having a good time, and he's minding his own business, and he's doing his own stuff. And some friends and relatives, they've just been to the homeland. You know, when your, your family go home, and he's excited and interested to hear the news, what it was like, because he's never been there, and how's it doing. And they come back, and he says, um, hey, brothers, what, what was Jerusalem like? What, what was Judah like? How's it going with building that wall? And they, they come back, and they're sad, and they're heavy, and they give him such bad news, saying, the wall's a mess. The people are broken. They're so complacent. And they've just given up all hope. And something touches this man's soul. He, he's so far removed. It's like 800 miles away. He's so far removed from these people and this nation. Why is he so interested? Well, he's not. But you see, when, when God starts to get our attention for something we we start to feel a pull in our spirit and this is like an arrow into his heart who's the guy that had the t-shirt on just now you know you've got that t-shirt on and as I'm looking at it, it it's like a what do you call those things that you chuck arrows at a target and I just sensed that the Holy Spirit was showing me an arrow being thrown to your heart and it's a Jesus arrow And what happened to Nehemiah, it pierced his heart for the things that pierced the heart of Jesus. And I just sense that the Holy Spirit is going to do that to you in 2020. So he's had this conversation and all of a sudden his world is turned upside down and he's devastated. For a people he doesn't understand, for a people he doesn't know. And he is so distraught. And he becomes so desperate. And he becomes so disturbed that all of a sudden life is not so easy. Life is not so hunky-dory. Life is just not going to be the same ever again. And he tries to carry on. But there's this tug in his heart. There's this pull going on. And he doesn't quite understand it. And it says in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things... I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And I can't tell you whether this is his introduction to a real relationship with the God of heaven or whether he's already been on that journey, but he's into a change. He's into a closer relationship because even his body goes weak and he has to sit down because the news, now this news could have just gone over my head. But it went straight into his heart. It affected him so badly. He had to sit down. His strength was gone. And he started to cry. A grown man that had it all together. He started to cry. And it says, for some days I mourned. You know, when you mourn something, that's really deep pain. So much so that he couldn't eat. I think it was so easy for him to fast. And he prayed. He was consumed. And day after day, the pain didn't go away. It gripped him and it grew inside of his heart. You see in the dictionary, the word pull, because I thought, Lord, this is a strange word to bring to a congregation, to bring in a message, the pull. And in the dictionary, it says pull. 
is to exert force on someone or something to cause a movement towards. It's a force drawing someone or something in a particular direction. I wonder, Jason, if you could come and help me with this part. So we have this man, Nehemiah, who's enjoying his life and he's just going on in life and all of a sudden he can't go any further with the way that he's going, with the way that he's living and he's trying so hard but there's this this pull and this pull and the pull increases and he starts to lose and he starts to draw back and that's, thank you, that is what God does when he starts to pull us into his plan into his purpose and I've just got a sense that some of you are here tonight to hear that that God in 2020 he might have already started but God is pulling at your heart he's pulling at you because he wants to pull you into his plan into his purpose and it may not be the way that you're going right now and that way you're going right be okay and nothing wrong with it but God wants to pull you and pull you and pull you until you turn and you get his attention Nehemiah suddenly felt such a love and a pull towards a people and a place that he didn't know. He wanted to solve a problem that he didn't cause. He was willing to stoop so low, to step down from his prestige, to step down from his position, to step down from his palace place, to step away from the king and all the luxuries. He was willing to step away and step down so low to reach a people up higher that needed lifting up. Isn't that what Jesus does? Isn't that what Jesus did? When he stooped down so low to this earth to lift up us, a wretched people? That is Jesus' heart. And finally, the pull is so strong on his life that he finally surrenders and he says, Not my will, Lord, but yours. And I wonder for this 2020, are we truly willing to say, not my will, Lord, not my way of living, Lord, but yours? Are we willing to say, God, first, before anything else in my life? You see, you don't get the cost that Nehemiah paid. He was in a good place. He was in a good position. He was safe. He was secure. He was well known. But as Paul says, I count it all done. He was pulled. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. I want to ask you and I want to ask myself for 2020, what is the pull that I feel? Can I feel a pull? Is the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart, trying to get my attention for something. (coughs) And it pulls him into a place that he hasn't been before. And it happens in many ways. You know, you could be having a conversation like Nehemiah did. You could be reading your Bible and something jumps out at you. You could be watching telly. You could be watching the news. Many years ago, I was watching the news and I saw all the refugees in Cos. They were trying to escape different places and there were thousands of them and they had nowhere to go. And you know, I'm just one of them people that sometimes when God gives me a pull, I just got to get involved. I just got to interfere. You know, you are one of those people. You're just one of those people that you just can't walk on by. 
You know I'm talking to you. Just put your hand up so you know. No. Yeah, look. Yeah. You're one of those people where you, you can't help yourself sometimes. You just want to get involved. You want to interfere for the good. You want to be God's mouthpiece. You want to be the hands of Jesus. And sometimes it gets you into trouble. Yes. And sometimes people misunderstand. But don't give up. Because it's the pull of God on your life. There are so many times for so many of us that we see stuff and we just ignore it or we walk on by. When God is pulling and pulling and pulling, are we going to keep resisting? So when I saw these refugees in cars, <laughs> I booked a holiday to cars. So Jason, we're going on holiday, but we're taking all these nappies and we're taking all this milk and we're taking all these toys. And we took it and we took it to the refugee camps because I just had to get involved. I had to interfere. I had this pull in my heart. Nehemiah could feel this pull increasing every day. And when you start to feel the pull of God, the first thing it does is it pulls you into a place of prayer because you become so desperate. That thing is so overwhelming. You just can't do it. You need God. He didn't have the answers. He had the pain, but he didn't have the answers. And this man in Nehemiah, in the, in the first chapter, it says it was in the month of Kislev. In the second chapter, it was the month of Nisan. That's four months. This man was praying and mourning and weeping and fasting for four long months about something that shouldn't have concerned him. There was nothing to do with him. That he couldn't have the answer for. Sometimes, sometimes God is working in us and our prayers don't get answered straight away because what he was doing to Nehemiah, he was drawing Nehemiah's heart to his and knitting the hearts together. So Nehemiah thought he was praying to God to do something and God was just saying, now Nehemiah, you feel how I feel. You're getting my heart. And it took four months for that to happen. It was four months of pain for Nehemiah. And then at the end of the four months, he says, Lord, will you do something today? How many times do we pray? Today, Lord, we wrestle in prayer. We're persistent. We persevere. And we go deeper. I've got to tell you, folks, that when prayer is delayed, it's not a denial it means that God is working. He's working on our behalf. It's like that seed that goes into the soil and we think it's not growing and it's not doing anything. But while it's in that dark place, while it's in that hard place, while it's in that unseen place, while we are praying and fasting and mourning and responding to the pull of God, he is at work. And then in chapter two, suddenly... The answer comes. He walks in to the king and he presents the king with his wine. He's tested it and he's given it to the king. And the king turns at him and says, what's wrong with your face? Because when something grips us, when the power of God is at work in our life, when there is a pull on our life to the things of God, it affects our body, it affects our countenance, it affects our face. It affects our emotions. And Nehemiah was so sad. But this was a dangerous place to be sad. 
In the king's court in those days, if you were sad, it could mean that you're about to murder the king or do something deceptive. So right now, Nehemiah is so scared. The king is questioning him. Why is your face so sad? And it says, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. You see, when we get afraid, fear paralyzes us. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of what people think about us. We're afraid of what they're going to say. If we respond to that call of God, if we step out, if we prophesy, we're going to sound so stupid. We're going to look stupid. And it paralyzes us and we do not do it. But this is a safe place. And this is a place where we can step out in the boldness of God. So what Nehemiah does, I think he's read this Verse in Proverbs where it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What Nehemiah does, he takes this fear that he's feeling in a split second. And he submits it to the power of God. And what he does is saying to himself and he's saying to God, you know what Lord, you are the biggest thing in my life. Lord, you are the biggest influence. You are the biggest power. You are the biggest strength. You are my biggest fear. There is nothing that comes before you. So this fear I feel right now with the king is nothing. I am giving it under your feet because I am going to fear you. What a wise man. And as he does that, he splurts out. Why shouldn't I be sad, king? Because my family, my heritage, my place lies in ruins and the people are there and they are broken. He could have been killed for saying that. The king never really meant what's wrong, not for his own sake. And what the king says next is miraculous. He says to Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? The king saying this to his cupbearer. Now there is a little line that says the queen was sat next to him and some scholars reckon that this was not the queen his wife but the queen mother who might have been Esther and had a great influence on the king at that day but I don't know but I know that God had a great influence on the king that day. Because he says to his cupbearer, what do you want me to do for you? And doesn't that echo the words of Jesus how many times he says in the Gospels, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. Do you want healing? Do you want to see? Do you want to walk? What do you want me to do for you? And maybe as we enter 2020, we need to take hold of that question that Jesus asked us today. What do you want me to do for you? I think on a moment... What is it that we want Jesus to do for us? And dare we pray big, bold prayers? Uh, Jesus isn't saying, oh, just keep it down. You know, only only the small prayers, only the practical stuff. No. He loves it when we get so audacious and we just ask him for the biggest stuff, the most impossible stuff. And right now, this is a reflection of that because Nehemiah stands before the king who has been so silly in some respect to say, what do you want me to do for you? So straight away, he whips up a prayer to God. You know, he spent four months praying with no answer. Now he does one of those shot in the dark prayers, an instant prayer. He hasn't got time to put on the worship movement and get in the, like, the feeling and stuff like that. In fact, no words. He shoots up a quick prayer to God. 
And straight away, a download of stuff comes into his heart and out of his mouth. Because in those four months that he's been praying and fasting and weeping, God has been giving him a plan. God has been downloading wisdom to this man, Nehemiah, this man who's a cupbearer. And suddenly he knows how to build walls. He knows how to be an architect. He knows how to be a leader. Where did all that come from? And he says before his king, okay, I prayed quickly to the God of heaven. And he says, send me to Judah, rebuild the wall, give me authority, give me protection, give me provision, give me resources, give me your best timber. I want to build gates. I want to build walls. I want to build a big house for me to live in. Oh, and by the way, send me an army as well to protect me and send me the cavalry. Do you think he was being greedy? He was cheeky. And I could just imagine Jesus saying, yes, that's my boy. Keep going. If you don't ask, you don't get. And then it says, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me. The king granted all of my requests. Yeah, He's gone four months without nothing for an answer of prayer. He throws up one teeny weeny prayer and he gets the world given to him. It's called investment. So when you're praying, when you're fasting, and when you're mourning for the things of God, it might take four months, it might take a year, but they're all investments. And then that time comes suddenly when you just shoot up a, a two-second prayer and God just chucks down heaven on you. Yeah. Oh, Nehemiah, I love him. He's such a cheeky cupbearer. Ha! God put wisdom in Nehemiah's heart. You see, when God pulls us into his plan, when God starts to pull us for his purpose, he gives us the wisdom. He equips us. He gives us all the resources that we need. We can trust him. You see, Nehemiah was posh. Nehemiah was a cup builder, a cup bearer to the king. His, his hands were probably manicured. They were gentle. They had never seen a hard day's life. And all of a sudden, this man is going to be a bricklayer, an architect. I think God's got a sense of humor. He was unqualified. He was unknown by the Jewish people. He was uneducated in the things of God. He was unprofessional in this area. He was unproven. I tell you what, what is your excuse? What is stopping you responding to the pull of God? Oh, Lord, I can't go there. I can't go to Bible college because I've got no education. Oh, Lord, I'm too old. I'm too young. We have no excuse. All we need to do is simply respond to the pull of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What could God do with you in 2020 if you just respond to the pull on your heart? Well, Nehemiah, get your bags packed. We're going on a journey. We're going on a trip. We're going on an adventure. You see, when we put all this together, when we think about the pull of God on our lives 
And then it pulls us into that place of prayer. And it, it brings us to a place where we grow closer in love with God, closer in love with his purpose. And then it brings us to a place where God downloads a plan and he gives us all the strategy that we need. What's it all for? The purpose for all of this is always people. It's always for people. So he gets to this place called Jerusalem. He's never been there before. And he inspects the place and all he can see is brokenness. He sees broken walls, but he sees broken people, broken dreams, broken strength, broken promises, broken lives, broken hopes. He sees people without faith, people without hope, people that are weak, people that are worn out, people that are feeble, people that are failed, people that are forgotten, people that are despised, people that are defeated, people that are destitute, people that are depressed. Need I go on? This city that you live in is full of those people. They're all around. Maybe God is still looking for Nehemiahs to go out to these people. Because in the next chapters, it talks about that so-and-so was next to so-and-so, and and next to them was another person, and next to them, and next to, and next to, and next to. What this man, Nehemiah, was able to do was draw and gather the people together to get them to work together. To get them to do something they couldn't believe they could do. They had tried for 150 years to rebuild this wall. And they had failed miserably time and time again. And yet, here comes this man. Because he's responded to the pull of God. Because he's got the wisdom of God. Because he's got the resources of God. And he gathers, he motivates, he encourages, he organizes, he teaches, he equips, he directs them, he feeds them, he inspires them, and he provides for them. Does that not sound like Jesus? He builds people. And that's where you and me come into this picture. I think Nehemiah is an amazing man. But he was a real man. And he is a real inspiration for us today. But it cost him. Are we willing to pay the cost? I don't want to talk about the cost really. He exchanged his comfort for conflict. He exchanged his privileges for persecution, his safety for danger, his luxury for poverty, his royalty for ruins. It took him four months of praying without answers. It took him 800 miles of travel. And yet, this is the good point, and yet after 150 years of failing, it took him 52 days to rebuild a wall. But not only did he rebuild a wall, he he rebuilt a community of people. He restored faith to them. He restored hope to them. He restored dignity to them. He restored them so much that they were reconciled back to God. Doesn't that sound like a plan that we can follow? Doesn't it sound like a plan for the church? Doesn't it sound like a plan that Jesus would write himself? And maybe, even though you're in this church today, maybe you're in that place where it's you that needs restoring. You know, maybe 2019 was not a good year for you. It wasn't a particularly good year for me. 
Maybe you're in a place where you need rebuilding, where you need someone to stoop low and pick you up. You know, I've learned over the years that those of us that have had broken hearts are the best people to heal those with broken hearts. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, it doesn't exempt you from being a Nehemiah today, to be in the hands and feet of Jesus. In fact, it equips you even more to bring the love to those that are lost and hurting, to restore hearts, to reconnect people to God, to bring community, to bring unity and strength. He binds up the brokenhearted and he restores the fallen. His purpose is the same today. Same yesterday and will be the same tomorrow. I wonder if the band could come back a moment. Because this is the challenge. I've never spoken this message before. I believe this message is for this church tonight. And this is the challenge that I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. Church, this year, this church, in this city, where's the part that you're going to play in the pull of God's heart? You're already a church that are busy in the community. You're already a church that are showing the love of Jesus. But you know there's even more. And as you step into and respond to that pull on your heart, God is going to download the strategies. He's going to give you the plans. He's going to give you the wisdom. He's going to give you the resources, the finance, the people. Because it's his plan. He's just waiting for willing hearts to respond to his pull. And he's placed you in a strategic place right now for a time such as this. Are you willing to have your heart broken for what breaks his? The purpose is always for people. About 35 years ago, I was a divorced single mom. And at Christmas time, I found myself alone. And it was painful as I looked at all the lights on in houses and the families gathering together and cooking their roast dinners. And I would do perhaps beans on toast and I had a a little baby and I had no family. And I was alone on Christmas Day. And then it happened the year after. And I just remember that the moment I became a Christian, I just sensed the love of God surround me. And I heard him say, I placed the lonely into families. I hadn't even read the Bible. And I knew instantly if ever I was in a position to mend hearts like mine had been broken, then I would do that thing. And I felt the pull of God as the years went on. I felt the pull every time I heard about single mums on their own at Christmas. And then one year I thought, I've got to respond to this pull. And I don't know how. So I started to pray. 
And I asked God to make the way. And to cut a long story short, he did. He brought the resources. He brought the people. And for 10 years, I did a big Christmas party for all the single mums in our community. Their kids would have sacks of brand new toys. The mums would be pampered. They'd have a huge meal. So much so that it hit the TV and the news came down. And they said, why would you do such a thing? And firstly, because I identified with their broken hearts. But secondly, I felt this pull. I felt this pull from God to not walk on by, to not ignore, to not just carry on. And yes, it was costly, but the benefits are amazing that you reap. Whatever it is in your life that God is pulling you, he's trying to get your attention right now. And maybe this year, 2020, could be the year that you respond to that pull from God. I'm just going to pray and then we can worship. In this room right now, Lord God, you are touching hearts in this room right now. You know, I don't know your name, but um, I'm talking about God pulling. And I just did an illustration where I'm going the other way. But for you, you're like on the, on the blocks of a race, ready to get off in the things of God. And I just pray right now that you will receive the pull of God in your life because you're ready. You're, you're, re- you're not like going off the other way. You're ready. You're ready to receive a pull from God in your life. And I can see you on the edge waiting for that starting gun to go. And you're going to run into the things of God, the plans, the purposes. You're ready. So, Father God, in this room right now, for this church at this time, we ask, Lord, that we would not ignore, that we would not resist the sense of your Holy Spirit pulling us into your plans, into your purposes. Lord, let this church be a people that explode into the community. Let it be a church that explode in the love of Jesus. That Lord, let it be a church, a community of people, a community of believers that will be willing to step down, to stoop down low and to lift up the people that need lifting up. Lord, I pray for a new anointing for 2020. I pray, Lord God, that you will break hearts for the things that break your heart. I pray, Lord God, for resources. I pray, Lord God, for your provision. I pray, Lord God, for people. I pray, Lord God, for expansion of your kingdom. Because your purpose, Lord, is people. And we want to be a people that glorify your name. Amen. Thank you for listening.